Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. I am Rufus Thomas, the singer of The Funky Chicken. No, wait, I'm Patrick Macias, the author of Tokyo Scope, the Japanese cult film companion. Damn, I thought I was going on with Rufus Thomas. What a disappointment. I'm Matt Alt of Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World. How are we today, Patrick? I don't know. It's a couple of days here before Halloween, and uh, I think I'm getting ready to, you know, do some nuisance streaming and go straight to the detention center there in Shinagawa. Well, Shinigawa. good luck because they're bare. Barricading, they're blocking, they're doing everything they can to keep humanity away from the most dangerous place on the planet, Shibuya, on Halloween, on All Hallows' Eve. Um, they're literally putting up uh, barricades. They're actually covering Hachiko. They're putting like giant sheets around Hachiko so you can't see Shibuya's most famous dog or dog statue. What's up with that? I saw something online. People are worried that all of the anti-Halloween bias going on is going to lead to something called the Caligula effect. The Caligula effect where like in a boomerang, uh, there suddenly people are going to be attracted to Shibuya. I don't, I saw Caligula. I, I, I don't, I don't recall any connection between this and, and what the individual is being quoted as saying. It's a Japanese journalist who is saying this, that there's so much talk about banning Halloween in, in Shibuya. And it's just in Shibuya. Like you can celebrate Halloween in other parts of, of Japan, like trick or treat. This isn't like Footloose. God, it's not like Footloose. They haven't banned Halloween. It's just, they don't want people like partying, getting drunk or eating apparently Burger King burgers. Burger King has shut down in Shibuya for Halloween's All Hallows Eve. Burger King released this like incredibly elaborate commercial saying that they're going to be closed just on Center Guy, just there on Center Street in Shibuya. And it's got like zombies. It's got it's got like clown shoes. I thought they were going to go full Ronald with it, but they didn't. Well, I read something on social media that says they're closing down because they're holding satanic rituals in there. Is it real, Patrick? Is it true? I'm still more concerned about this Caligula effect. Does that mean like hammy acting and like a coked out Bob Guccione Jr.? Because I'm kind of interested. I think I'm actually going to go down there to check out this Caligula effect. Okay, well, so the, the Caligula effect is actually, it's, it's actually a video game. Okay, here we go. It's a video game. I'm looking this up on Wikipedia because that's what we do in the in the modern world. So the Caligula effect was actually a Japanese video game that came out in 2016. And what- AD or BC. What on earth does this have to do with anything? I'm just confused. It, it received mixed or average reviews from critics. Yeah, well, the good news is when people hear this podcast next week, Shibuya will be completely destroyed. It'll just be like a Neo-Tokyo-sized crater smoldering in the middle of town. This is it, Matt. This is the Royal Rumble, the war to settle the score, the war on Halloween. Well, when I saw Akira back in 1990 and they showed that giant black hole consuming all of downtown Tokyo, I thought it was like a psychic kid. I didn't realize it was Halloween to blame. No, but actually, on, on a serious note, the, the Caligula, and I, we have to be totally serious here, the Caligula effect means, and I quote, the guilt and excitement that comes from doing something that you shouldn't do. I feel seen, Matt. Hey, have you ever done something you weren't supposed to do, Patrick? To actually, I'm asking for a friend. I think I saw Ricky Schroeder talking about this on an episode of Silver Spoons. Actually, it comes to the Caligula effect. I'm looking this up. It comes up over and over again. This is Time Magazine. Why powerful men compulsively cheat? I mean, because no no non-powerful man has ever cheated before. So blame Caligula. It's all his fault. I am. I've, 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 I usually do. Anytime I do something and get caught, I'm like, it's the Caligula effect. It's, it's not my fault. Yeah, when they arrest you for being a nuisance streamer and like putting your camera on like the sushi go round, you can say it was Caligula that made you do that. Only time will tell if, you know, and, and by time, I mean, what, three days from now, whether you know, people really did turn out in Shibuya or they just got drunk one neighborhood over in Shibuya. This is very Harajuku. much first world problems. 
Harajuku, Yoyogi. Well, Yoyogi is a couple of neighborhoods over. Yes. Anyway, so that's the topic du jour of the moment. What's the topic du jour of this podcast? Monsters, Matt. The king of the monsters, Godzilla. Yours truly had an article posted on the Washington Post last week, uh, a review of the translation of the very first Godzilla novel by Shigeru Kayama. Congratulations. I'm actually shocked that it took this long for a translation of the initial, you know, 1950s novelization, which as I understand it is a kind of expanded version of the story plot slash, you know, overview that he turned into Toho for the movie. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a rights issue or just like the right guy in the right place kind of made this happen. I mean, this seems like this was a pet project of the translator, Jeffrey Angles, who has a lot of really amazing, amazing translator footnotes and notes on the origins of God. Godzilla and how he translated the book. It's a must read. Like that, that to me is worth the price of admission. Definitely. You know, that afterward that he wrote is, it's almost longer than the text. It's amazing. It's, uh, he did a really great job with that. But let's cut to the chase here, Patrick. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What does Siskel and Ebert say about this book? And I'm not talking about the translation, which is great. The, I think the translation is great. What do we think of the content? Go. To quote the great Leonard Malton, there are some things about this novel I liked and some things I didn't. No, actually, I'm just kidding. There's nothing I didn't like. It was very enjoyable. It's uh, It was very surprising to kind of like recalibrate your brain back to like 1955 when this book came out. You're kind of witnessing the birth, not only of like kaiju movies, but this sort of like young juvenile science fiction, kind of almost manga influenced text and prose. I mean, the book, it's not a literary masterpiece. It's not like a Kobo Abe or like a, no. or like a Mishima book. I mean, it's definitely aimed at like juvenile readers. It's YA all the way but hugely enjoyable because of that. But there's so many changes between the film and the book that it's really fascinating because this guy, Shigeru Kayama, he wrote the scenario for what became the first Godzilla film. And so when they asked him to write the novel, this was his chance to kind of go back and put some of his like anti-war, anti-nuclear feelings into it. I was really struck by how much anti-nuclear sentiment. I mean, Godzilla, of course, is a statement, a symbol, a metaphor for the hydrogen bomb, but it's kind of been downplayed even in the Japanese version. The American version just completely of, of the 1954 movie just completely like eradicates the, you know, I wouldn't call it anti-American so much as, as anti-nuclear criticism of the plot, but it's in force in this, in this storyline, like the, the lucky dragon incident, which is the real life incident where a Japanese fishing boat was like 90 miles off the coast of where they conducted a hydrogen bomb experiment and they got irradiated. It caused a lot of problems with the, you know, the crew got sick. Some of them died. The food was contaminated. Big problem. And in this book, it's really obvious that he's kind of retelling the the Lucky Dragon incident with Godzilla as the bomb or the symbol of the bomb. The first third of the book almost revolves exclusively around the sailors and kind of what happens on the fishing island that they're from, Odo Island. So like a lot of the story beats and the basic outline are the same as in the movie, but here he sort of really dials back on like the human drama and the human tragedy. The whole love story between Dr. Sarazawa, right. uh, the sailor Ogata, and Emiko is completely jettisoned. That to me was like, I kept waiting for this to kind of like kick into gear. And that note just is completely missing from the book. Yeah, it was a little sterile that way. Yeah, so he focuses more on this like scientific ethical debate. Like, are we doing the right thing in trying to stop Godzilla with an oxygen destroyer? Shouldn't we study Godzilla as reputations for all the horrible things Japan during World War II? And these are things that do not really happen at the volume and intensity. They're touched upon in the film. They're there, but they're, yes. they're 
they're almost more like subtext that is understood rather than Shigeru Kayama, like kind of just going in all caps about in the book. Can we talk about the 10 million pound kaiju in the room? Like the number one thing in the book that just kind of blew my mind because there's no, there's no analog to it in the film is, I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, the Tokyo Godzilla Society. <laughs> yes. I, I thought you and I were the Tokyo Godzilla Society, but apparently there was one in this book many, many years before our arrival on this planet. There's a whole chapter called the Tokyo Godzilla Society. There's a whole subplot about this apocalyptic cult that sort of reveres Godzilla as like a destroyer deity that's come to punish Japan for having surrendered at the end of World War II. And the society sends like these Zodiac style, like, you know, death threats and like love letters to like the main characters in the book. And it's it's crazy because the plot just like stops dead in its tracks. Now we have like a real serious problem. The Tokyo Godzilla Society is mad about it. It's, it's really odd. And like a lot of the things, like they make all of these comments, like the public thinks that actually Godzilla is fake news that it's the Tokyo Godzilla Society who has built a giant robot and is attacking Tokyo with it. And I was like, whoa, you guys are getting ahead of yourselves. That's a pretty giant logical leap to think this enormous dinosaur crushing downtown Tokyo is actually a giant robot in disguise. That's like this element of the book that's given this whole chapter. And yet Godzilla himself is barely described in the text. I want to play our our (laughs) AI buddy here to describe the very first time Godzilla appears on the printed page in his own book called Godzilla. It was so dark out that they could hardly make out what was right in front of them. Suddenly, Godzilla's head appeared from behind the ridge of the hill before them. It was unimaginably enormous. It floated up in the darkness, emitting a pale white light as if painted with fluorescent paint. What a terrifying face. In his mouth was a cow, red with dripping blood. Yes, it's very dry. Like the prose is incredibly dry. And by the by this, I am not directing it at all at the translator. It's obvious this is what it was in the original. So Kayama relies really heavily on like Japanese onomatopoeia and like stuff that doesn't exactly translate well into English. So Angles like really struggled in a way that I respect to kind of convey that in the English. But it's um it's kind of a dry read for a, a book that's about a giant monster smashing through a, a downtown city. I think that's because of the way Kayama almost handles Godzilla the way that like Bram Stoker handles Dracula. He's almost like a side character who drives the plot forward more when he's off stage than when he's on stage. Whereas the dialogue between Shinkichi, who's sort of one of the sailors who survived the sort of Lucky Dragon incident, and Dr. Yamane is like all caps. It's like, but professor, we can't let that berserk offspring of the H-bomb just run around wild. If anything, Godzilla himself is the hydrogen bomb hanging over Godzilla right now. So much for metaphor, huh? (laughs) It's just like Godzilla is the bomb. Caligula is the Halloween, Matt. Apparently. I uh, know there's some amazing, amazing dialogue, like snippets of dialogue in here. Like, what was my favorite here? Let me... Waiting to catch the king of the Jurassic in an electric chair is sheer madness. Was that like macho madness with a slim Jim or something like that? It's very like Bella Lugosi, like famous monsters of Filmland kind of dialogue. Do you mean Ed Wood? You know, I wasn't aware about just how much the original storyline of Godzilla was influenced by the 
what is it, the beast of 20,000 fathoms. And it really has an American B-movie sort of feel to it, filtered through a kind of Japanese, I wouldn't even say Japanese sensibilities, filtered through the headlines of the moment. And one of the things that really struck me when I was reading the liner notes, so to speak, the afterward is just how quickly Godzilla came together. Like he spent what a week writing the script. It's crazy how quickly he he turned in the draft of the script and how quickly they made the movie after like the kind of, they pitched it in May and like the movie's done by November. Well, it's just, you know, now it's like, you know, oh, let's tease it two years before it comes out. Oh, here's some stills from the set. Like then it was like, bam, let's make it. Okay, (laughs) done. And they made this masterpiece of a film in just like a couple months. And the thing about the book, this new translated volume is that it contains two novels. It's not only the original Godzilla, but also the sequel, Godzilla Raids Again, which hit Japanese movie theaters a year after the first Godzilla 54. So they just like yes. saw the money come in and they're like- The best part again comes from the the afterward where it's revealed that they they sent the author to a hot spring resort in Atami like over a long weekend where he's just like soaking in the waters, drinking. At one point he wraps a towel around his head and, and, and lays in his room like awake all night trying to figure out how, how, how can we, how can we bring Godzilla back and defeat him again? There's that eureka moment where he's like, not one monster, but two monsters. I, I also love the part where like he gets disillusioned that kids are, are reacting more to Godzilla than to the than to the message. Yeah, that's the whole kind of like amazing sort of ending of Kayama's relationship with Godzilla is he quit after Godzilla raids again. He wrote the scenario for the first film and the second film, but then he's like, no more. I'm sick of Godzilla. Because yeah, he he felt that people were not getting the message. He was kind of struck by how kids were calling every single dinosaur Godzilla. He saw adult audiences falling in love with Godzilla. And he even admitted, Matt, that he himself had grown fond of Godzilla. Can you imagine such a thing? Ooh, illicit love in the 50s. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He's like, yeah, man, it's, people are treating this like it's a kaiju movie. <laughs> I, it, it's it's funny. I, I Obviously, he had different intentions going in to, you know, to the way things played out. But it's true. Godzilla was, you know, the film was reviled by the critics, but the public loved it. And not just like, you know, John Q. Tanaka in the public, but like actual Joey Suzu about him. You know, uh, what looked- about, yes. No, I was actually thinking more along the lines of uh, Yukio Mishima, who was a huge fan of Godzilla. And he at one point penned an essay called I Too Am a Kaiju. And uh, it's, which is, it's kind of ironic given that he went on to try to stage a insurrection against the Japanese government and is the last known person to commit suicide by ritual disembowelment. But he loved Godzilla. Everybody loved Godzilla. Everybody from us to, you know, uh, crazy right wingers. Maybe he was a one man Tokyo Godzilla Society. I like to think so. I, I think my, you know, my favorite thing about the book actually is the Tokyo Godzilla Society. And, and again, we don't want to give anything away, but I love this idea that just moments after Godzilla arrives on Japanese shores, there's this cult of people who are worshiping Godzilla. And it really called to mind one of the more interesting aspects of the movie Akira that was cut out from the manga and wasn't put into the animated version, which is there's this like millennial like cult where they're worshiping 
helping kids who have who've failed to become Akira from the program. And I love the idea that this cult was kind of like playing the, the, this role in the background of Akira. And now there's a similar kind of cult playing a background in the movie I never expected there to be a cult in, which is Godzilla. So it was really interesting. It's it's That's worth price of admission alone, I think. Plus the idea that Godzilla is a giant robot. Hmm, maybe we can use that again in a later movie. What do you think? You could call it a mecha Godzilla. <laughs> well, I got Japanese just have it on the mind that I guess when something giant is rampaging through the city, like, hmm, giant robot. Like, it's actually one of the things that's always attracted me to Japanese culture. That if you have something dangerous, you need to build a giant robotic version of it, a doppelganger to fight it. It never occurred to Americans, it's, but it does to Japanese. That's one of the reasons that I moved here. Maybe they should make a giant mecha Halloween to fight Halloween in the streets of Shibuya. Mecha Burger King. <laughs> mecha, mecha Hachiko. Like a giant transforming robot dog. Don't give them any ideas. It's good. There's only a couple days left. There's no way there's enough time to build a giant robot to save Shibuya from Halloween. Maybe the Mario Karts can all kind of like crush together into like vehicle Voltron or something like that. There was a GoBot like that. It was like five cars that turned into a, a, a giant robot. I think it was called Puzzler in Japanese. I don't know what it was called in English. I can't believe I even... why. Like, I can't remember important things. And I remember, like, the Japanese name of some combining GoBot from 50 years ago. God. Well, not 50, but still 40. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Hey, kids, look what's coming to our theater. It's alive, and it breathes fire. I gotta see that picture. Mightiest of them all, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. More fantastic than any story by Jules Verne. Gigantic in spectacle. A thrilling picture for the whole family, kids and grown-ups alike. See death-defying underwater photography. See scientific miracles wrought before your very eyes. Awesome. Incredible. Unbelievable. A monster that wipes out a city with its flaming breath. Can modern science destroy this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So Matt, I don't necessarily want this to become a Godzilla podcast, but it can't be helped, Matt. You know what's happening next week, 11-3 here in Japan, right? It's true. A giant monster is going to come over the hill and people ran away in fear, I believe is what you're trying to hint at. Godzilla minus one? Is that is that what you're hinting at? Teach Marin and Paul Rodriguez are going to be starring in Godzilla minus Juan. I'm actually really, really looking forward to this. I think we need to go. We need to live cast it from the theater. We can just yell things into our into our cell phones while we're watching. You know, like how Americans watch movies. We can blame Caligula for like why we're recording the screen. <laughs> it's the Caligula effect, baby. I took Friday off. I'm going to try to just sneak into the movies, you know, backdoor style, and uh, put my feet up on the chair in front of me. Next Friday, we're there. I don't know when. Or where i mean it's I, i'm guessing this is going to be the hottest ticket in town for like messed up middle-aged people normally i would have said nah but given how well uh you know in the in the we're living in a post shin gojira world where on no hideaki movies that are getting progressively more obscure are still selling out theaters so this is a major big time big boy godzilla release mainstream is heck so i think it's going to be pretty tough to get into but we can try i can't believe we weren't invited to the screenings the early press 
screenings. What's to happen? Why were we not invited? I know. The Tokyo Godzilla Society is going to write some angry letters to some certain individuals well, here. Well, first, first, Shakey's didn't invite us to the 50th like anniversary all-you-can-eat like corporate party. And now this? I'm turning in my Japanese green card. I'm moving. Gaijin smash. That's what I always say when stuff like this happens, Matt. Don't you know who I am? I'm the leader of the Tokyo Godzilla Society. <laughs> I'm going to tell my friends in Seatopia to stop leaving Japan in peace. Yeah, the advance word on the internet from people who saw it at that very first screening was like, it's a masterpiece. Really? It's the movie I always wanted to see. But I mean, they're all like, it's like Yuji Kaida. These are like people who are yeah, like yeah. Godzilla insiders or like people who have done Godzilla. They have to say. It's like people who love Star Trek, the motion picture when it came out. Well, I promise we'll be honest. No matter how, no matter how harsh the the truths are we, we have to we're gonna i think i'm going in with an open mind i am so let's 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 put a cork in it let's put a sock in it until until next week when we can when all will be revealed in a non-spoiler free uh reveal of, of how the movie went i don't know how much more my nerves can handle matt the wall shaking terror of shibuya halloween and godzilla minus one actually it's true we have to survive halloween we have to survive halloween what first. will survive and what will be left of us i'm just i'm gonna be in my basement curled up in a corner eating candy corn you know, washing it down with Coca-Cola, just like you do when you're, you know, trick-or-treating. I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> are you going trick-or-treating? Lucky Charms and Wild Turkey 8. Trick-or-treating doesn't exist in Japan. It's only, it's only treats, no tricks. I'll be the judge of that. Well, congratulations on getting into the post. I think that's a real, that's, that's a real notch on your bedpost. Uh, that, I don't think that's the right metaphor. I guess they saw all those like anti-legendary MonsterVerse rants on my Facebook and said, we need this guy. This is the only guy who can do this job. That's my hometown paper. I've always wanted wanted to get into the post but you know the best thing about getting a story published on the post is the comments oh man i mean i've never seen so many people who've like clearly not read the article and are just like godzilla wouldn't take crap from trump i can see godzilla knocking down trump tower and using bedminster as a toilet godzilla was okay but rashomon was way better the king of the monsters hardly i find him too improbable to take seriously is this real, Patrick? Thank you for your enlightening commentary. Every single person who took time out of their busy day to leave a comment. Not realistic enough. I've never, ever heard that said about Godzilla before. That's some cutting commentary and criticism right there. Wow. He'll be, this person will be converted by Godzilla Minus One. It's the most realistic Godzilla film yet. So thanks so much for listening to our show. We do this every week. Please continue to support us and like and subscribe and do all that fun stuff. And we'll catch you all next week. And this is the Tokyo Godzilla Society. Just two of us signing off. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bing, bing, bing.